Actually, today I'm feeling very mellow. I was kind of like in a in a little bit of a funk, actually. But um, welcome to Gross Anatomy. I'm going to try to get out of my funk and be less mellow today. And I'm not sure why, but um, here we are. I'm Dr. Jason Cohen. I'm joined by... Lauren Taylor. And uh, we're with Gross Anatomy, or at Gross Anatomy. We're doing Gross Anatomy, which is... Uh, where we discuss the sights, smells, and sounds of medicine and how it relates to pop culture, media, etc. Um, so we actually had a question, don't we? We have a question. Someone sent in a question. We're very so excited to have a question. This is for you. It's you're, our first question. Yes. Right. You're the doctor. Right. Um, and anyone can go to grossanatomypodcast.com and submit your questions, FYI. All right, so here's the question. Okay, give me the question. There's lots of IV places popping up, and they advertise that you can go there with a cold and get a vitamin IV to make it go away. Is it hokum, or is there some truth to it? Hokum. <laughs> what, what you, no, I'm not answering that. Is, is hoke, it, you mean, is it a hoax? Is, what does hokum mean? Is it? Is <laughs> no, I know. Yeah, so, okay. um, so my thoughts on these IV infusion places are that there might be some benefit. Most likely it's not going to hurt you, but there are definitely pros and cons to both things. So certainly if someone's dehydrated and they're getting some hydration, um, you could feel good just by nature of getting a liter of fluid, whether it's saline or, or some other balanced solution. So I think there's definitely benefit. If you're dehydrated, if you've been drinking, if whatever reason you're dehydrated and you get some fluid, a decent amount of fluid, as long as you don't have heart problems that you may go into heart failure, you could get some benefit from just getting plain old saline solution. So I, I think that could help, at least in the short term. In terms of you know what else is going into those mixtures, whether it's vitamins and things like that, I think I don't think it's going to hurt you most of the time, and maybe you'll get some benefit. Um, whether or not you're truly overall getting some true lasting benefit from these hydration therapies, I don't think so. I, I think probably not, but I think it certainly can hurt. I think some people get a placebo effect, you know, where they think, oh, I'm getting this, I, I'm going to feel great, and they do feel great, so that might be part of it. Um, but I think for the most part, um, the hydration is probably good and the other stuff is probably not bad. But bad things could happen when you get an IV place. You know, you could they could miss your vein and hit something wrong or, you know, granted all these people are probably well trained in putting in IVs, but you could get an infection of the vein, a phlebitis. And, and uh, so bad things could potentially happen as well, um, but much less likely. So um, if someone wants to go in and try to get um, some IV hydration or something like that. My overall feeling is is I'm neutral, arrow up. Okay. How do you like that? <laughs> I like it okay, but my question is because those places I've been in before, I mean, I haven't actually gotten uh, the IV. I just wanted to get information. And there was a nurse, and they usually cost about $120. So it's not cheap to get these IVs. Do you right. think it's essentially like just drinking a packet of, like, emergency? Do you not believe in that? that? That kind of stuff. Like, um, I know there's no yeah. cure for a common cold, right? So what right. are we really doing? Yeah, and and the whole vitamin industry is a huge industry. You know, it's a gazillion-dollar industry, and everybody's taking vitamins. I take some, too. And 
I don't even know how much any of those truly help. I think for the most part, none of them hurt. And maybe they help, but I think for the most part, we get a lot of our vitamins are our diet. It, it, it's one thing if we have certain deficiencies that need to be replaced, um, but I think for the most part, um, I don't really know. And, and I don't think anybody truly knows. I don't know how much good research there is on any of these things. I do remember at one point in time when my mother had cancer, there was thought that Vitamin C helps fight lung cancer, so she was taking, you know, higher doses of vitamin C. And then at some point, I wound up reading a study that maybe it helps in prevention of cancer, but if you already have the lung cancer and you're t- taking vitamin C, the cancer progresses faster. Wow. But but I, I I think that you could find data about a ton of stuff, and I think unfortunately with these kind of things, we don't really know. And for the most part, I don't think any of it hurts. Today's topic we're still wrestling with, believe it or not. We're, and Lauren, you you picked a topic, so well, I just watched that the, I don't know much about. I know, and I thought we had watched the same show, but we didn't. No, I, I had just watched the Ted Bundy tapes. I didn't want to at first. I felt weird about it, but my husband wanted to. Why do you, you feel, uh, feel weird about? I don't know. I just don't want to feel like it was like glamorizing him in any way. Okay, um, but it's just a four part series like documentary about actual like interviews he had done so i didn't know how much like from an actual like psychopath serial killer i wanted to hear who's in it actually done well um it was two uh journalists that had written a book that were just like narrating the documentary so it was actual documentary so it was like like, actual footage oh but um it was really popular and it actually caused Netflix to put out a statement that said, we urge users to stop thirsting over Ted Bundy, a literal serial killer. Because I guess women were writing, like, how cute he was, how hot he was, and this man... In real life. Yeah. Hmm. And uh, this is a man who brutalized 30 women and killed them. I think it was 30, maybe more. Hmm. So, um, I was just wondering... Don't become a serial killer. (laughs) But people are fascinated by it. And now it's um, Zac Efron is in a new movie about Ted Bundy that's also done by Netflix. Right. And he's blonde. Uh, Right? Isn't he? I saw that he was... Ted Bundy wasn't blonde in any of the um, actual photos I saw. But I did see a picture of him and he was blonde. And I don't know what that was for. Oh, so that's not the Ted Bundy thing. Unless, yeah, he's doing a different version of it. So I think everybody loves... uh, Not everybody. Many people love... A car wreck, and for whatever reason, they love to stop and watch that kind of stuff. My wife likes those kind of shows, I think, and a good friend of ours um, also is very fascinated with all those kind of cult um, things and the cult killers and Manson and and all of that. Um, Personally, I'm not into that stuff, but I think for some reason people are drawn to I don't know if it's that people are drawn to seeing other people suffer or they just there's some kind of like guilty thrill that people get out of, you know, maybe it's like watching. a. I wonder if the same people like watching that like roller coaster rides. Do you like roller coaster rides? I don't. No, me neither. Um, I don't know. Or horror movies. Like basically right. it was like, you know, real life Halloween. It's like this person yeah. ki- going around killing. I don't know. I don't know what the fascination is. But I do know that people like that stuff. Yeah. Have you? And I think it would be cool to see a brain scan to see if there was really um, a difference between 
like a normal person's brain and a psychopath's brain. I read that um, there are some images differences, but I don't know how much truth there is to it. You know, I, I, it's one uh, it's one area of medicine that I have no knowledge at all about in terms of the brain. In fact, when I did my psychiatry rotation, uh, I I went in thinking I was going to like it because my uncle is a psychiatrist, and that he was the only doctor mentor I had growing up. So I'm like, yeah, I'm going to love psychiatrists. My uncle, who I love, who I think is the coolest guy as a psychiatrist, I'm going to love it. I hated my psychiatry rotation. A few reasons. One, I thought I was going crazy. I had this weird transference thing, so I was just convinced, like, I was going to go crazy. Two, I had this weird, it has nothing to do with serial killers and all that stuff, but I had this, I had one of my advisors at one of the hospitals where I was at in New York City, um, on Long Island, um, gave me as a medical student a lot of free reign to do whatever I wanted to do. And he was a little smug and... um, I had this one patient who was this really sweet old lady who was depressed and it was an inpatient facility and there's a long story having nothing to do with our TED Talk topic, our TED Talk, this isn't a TED Talk, <laughs> when they invite me to Ted do a Bundy TED talk, talk, yeah, our Ted Bundy Talk, there's nothing to do with our podcast, but um, so I, I was basically the doctor as a third year medical student taking care of this sweet, depressed woman that I didn't really believe, I didn't really understand depression, real severe clinical depression until I took care of that woman. I thought I was funny. I, I think I'm funny. I think I'm cute. I think I could pretty much usually get anyone to smile if I do something. I could not get this woman to crack a smile. So, and I'm the greatest and funniest and smartest. <laughs> and I couldn't get her to smile. So I knew she was really depressed. But so... Interestingly, she was getting shock therapy, ECT, electric shock therapy, which I got to watch, where they would actually put the patient to sleep. They'd sedate them, so they're totally out. It's not like Jack Nicholson in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, where he's awake and it's scary, although it does look totally nuts and crazy. So they sedate her, they put her to sleep, and then they actually give a shock, so much so that it causes them to kind of have a seizure. And, you know, they put a bite block in so they don't bite down too hard on their teeth. It is kind of brutal looking, but they're sedated. And then they wake the patient up, and the patient wakes up, and initially, totally, total amnesia. They they know nothing. They remember nothing. And slowly, over the course of hours, they start remembering who they are and who everybody is. And uh, interestingly, patients... Uh, have there's a lot of success with depression that they wake up and and they're not as depressed um you often have to get many treatments and um i think part of it is they kind of forget you know everything and they remember everything except for the fact that they were depressed somehow they don't remember that they're depressed i don't know what the science behind it is but it's super cool um, so did she wake up and like a totally different person? So she woke up and I remember initially she woke up and I was with her and she's like happy and giddy like a young kid flirting with me, like being totally inappropriate. And then slowly she gets back to who she was. Um, and so this is like a last effort. Like had they tried pills? Interestingly, it's not a last. So in the elderly... As long as they can undergo a little bit of sedation, it's in, it's amazingly safer to some degree than a lot of the pills. Because a lot of, at least back when I was training uh, in the Stone Age, um, there a lot of the medicines 
Um, you see, you must be depressed because you didn't smile when I said Stone Age. So there must be something wrong with you. So no, back when I was training, a lot of the medicines, Prozac was already out there, but even Prozac, they have a lot of side effects. And patients with heart problems and other issues could have, especially the, the, the antidepressants before Prozac, the ones that came had a lot of side effects on the heart and this and that. So it was thought, and I think still is, that electric shock therapy is safer than a lot of the medicines. So it wasn't necessarily last line. It was, to some degree, in patients who are elderly and frail, maybe a first-line treatment, believe it or not. I find that fascinating because I always thought it was, like, the last resort. And I always think of One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest because it's my favorite film. And I always think it's going to do something bad to people. No. But it had a positive effect. Had a positive effect. So getting back to this woman, so um, it's Friday. And the woman was really depressed. It, was, it wasn't around when she was gotten her electric shock therapy. And she's in, in an inpatient facility in the hospital. And I think the nurses had come up to me and said, um, I don't think they called me Dr. Cohen. I think they called me Jason. I was a third-year medical student. They said, Miss So-and-so um, was out of the hospital, like, wandering on the wards a little bit. What do you want to do? I said, you know, just bring her back into the hospital. She was wandering on the grounds of the hospital. I said, oh, don't worry about it. And then I went home, and it was the weekend. And I come back in on Monday, and my advisor, this psychiatrist, whose name I still remember, calls me in and is angry at me, third-year medical student, I know nothing, and goes to me, Jason, did you say that it's okay to have the patient just come back into the hospital? Yeah. Did you not um, recommend that she gets locked up on the lock up, the lockdown unit? I'm like, no. Why? She walked home on Friday night, wow. hitchhiked home, and locked herself in the house. And the police had to go to her house and extract her back from the house. And now she's locked up in the hospital. Um, thanks to you. And he blamed me, third-year medical student, for this on my psychiatry rotation. And I, and because of that, she did fine. She was great. You know, she got the shock therapy and then did better. Um, but that's why I hated my psychiatry rotation. And that's why I didn't become a psychiatrist. And that's why I know nothing about psychiatry and nothing about of the brains, getting back to the brains of the psycho killers yeah. and psychopaths. Well, I don't know anything about their brains. Well, I guess that unfortunately wouldn't work for them, I guess, anyways, because it's right. not a mental illness like that. It's like an antisocial disorder right? that uh, that some people have. And yeah. a lot of um, entertainment's been made about it. Yeah. One movie I liked, did you ever see Zodiac? This is by David Fincher. It's really good. It's on I did It was on Netflix. I didn't see Zodiac. I heard of it. Wait, that was about... Um, it's about a real killer. The Zodiac killer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he was never found. Right. No, that stuff is really spooky. The only really serial killer thing I ever watched was um, Hannibal Lecter. What, what, a Silence of the Lambs. Silence of the Lambs. Um, That's which probably... Was, I feel like if you pulled people, that would be... Yeah. And favorite. I thought that was great. A little scary, but it was definitely a great movie. Um, and I guess to some degree, people are really like that. Um, I don't know. I, you know, I'm watching now 
um, as homework for a project. I'm watching, because I never really watched it in its entirety. I've seen only some episodes. I'm watching The Sopranos, Mm -hmm. which the guy you could make in a case that Tony Soprano was a psychopath, too. You know, on one minute he was this family man. The next minute he was beating someone's head in. Um, That's true, and he kills quite a few people. Kills a lot of people, and sometimes, you know, just for no reason at all. And had violence and impulse control, and he's going to a shrink and talking to a psychiatrist. Um, yeah, I don't remember. Did his psychiatrist, did she say he was like a sociopath, or did... I don't know if she, she ever said it. Dying, yeah, I don't no. remember either. Yeah. And she did say, and they do, that she, you know, psychiatrists have to go, uh, the ones who do psychotherapy are, uh, you have to, in order to become a psychotherapist, you ha- you yourself have to go get therapy. It's it's mandatory. So someone who becomes a, a, a psychiatrist who becomes a psychotherapist who's doing psychotherapy, it's mandatory in their training for they themselves to go get. See, um, you do know about this. Well, no, that's all I know. So it's mandatory that they themselves go get psychotherapy. So if, and you remember in The Sopranos, she, the psychiatrist, sees her own psychiatrist, too. Um, I remember that, but I didn't know that was mandatory training. It's mandatory. I okay. remember my uncle, when he was going through his training, I remember he used to go get his psychotherapy in order for him to be a psychotherapist. I thought that was cool also, but again, I had this horrible experience. But um, So she, Lorraine Bracco, the actress... Um, her therapist says, you know, why are you still seeing this patient? He's a he's a criminal. You should, you know, drop him, fire him as a patient. But she clearly got off on having this danger too. Just yeah, like it was people, a thrill. right? There was definitely the thrill of that to some degree. Of uh, people get weird thrills. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's why people like horror movies. And why people stop to watch accidents and things like that. It's not because they want to help. Maybe they do want to help. But I think it's more they want to see what happened. Right. I think so. I actually, I don't know if I ever told you, I want to make a coffee table book. If anybody steals it, I'll come and find you. <laughs> I want to make a coffee table book about, um, called Gross Anatomy, by the way, um, which is pictures of disgusting stuff we as surgeons and doctors get to see and do, like a patient with their bowels eviscerated out of their abdomen, or patient with horrible parasitic infections and maggots and worm infections. I think I want to make a coffee table book like that. It would be hard a little bit to get permission from the patients, you know, the whole HIPAA thing. Uh, But I, I think some people might find it fascinating, a coffee table book of disgusting... Definitely stuff. something everyone will look at. Right. I do. Because when you're saying this, I'm like, I don't want to look at it, but I do want to yeah, look at it at the same time. Yeah, you kind of do. Exactly. But I could not look at it if it was on somebody's table. Right. I like this idea. Yeah. Like, uh, going way off topic, when we, when I, uh, years and years ago, when I first got to the hospital where I am at, um, again, I'm a cancer surgeon, so we had this woman from Israel come uh, to the hospital and she had a big tumor uh, growing off of her ear. And it was big already. I mean, the tumor itself was probably the size of a football. Maybe a small, like a small Nerf football. So it was big. So she, it's almost like she had a head and a half. And we kind of said to her, why didn't she get this taken care of before it was that big? 
And her reason was that she didn't want to lose her ear because it was really coming off of her ear. So we get to the room and it's her head is all wrapped up in gauze. And we take the gauze down so we could examine the tumor. And as we take the gauze down, this is a visual, so not everybody's going to get to see except for you, Lauren. We take the gauze down and all the maggots that were in her tumor fell down onto her shoulder and are creeping and crawling, these wet, white maggots creeping and crawling on her shoulder. And as we're talking to her, the crazy thing happened is all the maggots went (gasps) back into the tumor and they were gone and just in her tumor. What what happened then? We, we, um... This is a horse. Believe it or not, the environmental um, cleaning crew came and cleaned her room and stuff. And I think they may have put chemicals in and around her too, which I think then killed all the maggots and they washed it and everything. Eventually she let us take her to surgery and we removed the tumor and her ear. But unfortunately it was so advanced that it it came back shortly thereafter, the tumor. Um, But oddly enough, when we removed the tumor in her ear, the maggots were gone. I think whatever chemicals and cleaning that they used or, or maybe the nurses scrubbed her with something, um, killed the maggots. That poor woman. Yeah. Yeah, she eventually... I, I don't think she lived long after that. Um, so that's one of the worst things. That... Well, that would be a cool coffee table book thing. You put that in there. For sure. But I don't have it. You know, someone did have a photo of it. Um, I don't have it anymore. I, I don't know where that is. Probably somebody that's looking to make a coffee table book. Could has be. Has this photo. Yeah. <laughs> You're out of luck. All right. So, serial killers. The positive thing about living in today's age is that DNA testing, um, like all these people sending into like family tree DNA to find out, is uh, is uh, opening up old cases. So, like the Golden State Killer was just found because of because that. people doing like ancestry.com and right. That stuff? It was like a last ditch effort by this detective who had been on the case for twenty years to like enter it into this family DNA database. Wow. And a close match came up, and from there they were able to, like... So do you think less people are going to be... So serial killers and stuff are going to be not inclined to do 23andMe then? Right, but mm-hmm. it wasn't like he did it. Somebody, like, in his family had done it. Like, maybe he didn't even know. Like, a cousin. Wow. And so then they were able to, like, track it from there. And, That's like, figure amazing. out the area, like, who in his family would have been around there that would have had the same and similar they DNA. This guy. And then they followed him, I believe, to a coffee shop or something, and grab something he left behind and tested it that's amazing it is huh so I mean there are so serial killers can't get away like they did in Ted Bunny's day it's harder to be a serial killer right it's a much harder job today so that's a that's Mm -hmm. a silver lining don't be a serial killer this is a very (laughs) interesting podcast topic today (laughs) All right. well um, send in your questions if you have any and let us know what topics you want to hear We've got one planned for next week, but after that, we'd love to start taking your ideas. Yes, we're going to, I think we're going to be visiting stem cells. At some point in time, we're going to be visiting cannabis. What other, what other thoughts did we have so far? Uh, Nobody knows. So thanks for joining us. And remember, a lot of what we say is, um, some is based in medical in fact, but a lot is just our opinions um, of a doctor. Thank you. Thank you. 
That's it for this week. Thanks for listening to Gross Anatomy, and be sure to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes so you can check out more episodes on the evolving sights, smells, and sounds of medicine.